Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 31 of Her Story. This is your host, Cassidy Reed, and today I am talking with guest Leah Rose. Leah is a classical musician, mom, and a leadership and visibility coach for Creative World Changers. In this episode, Leah and I discuss career changes, personal development, finding your passion and purpose, and her life and career. So please enjoy, and I will see you next Monday. My name is Leah, Leah Rose, and I am a coach for creatives, creatives building their own businesses. And um, I'm also a violist. And in my coaching business, I mostly work with creatives around building confidence and visibility, self-promotion, being really authentic with their self-expression and really owning who they are and what they have to contribute to the world. That's awesome. I'm so glad you're here. I think we have so much to talk about today. So let's just dive right in. So you are a violist. So what got you into music in the first place and what made you choose your instrument? Well, I think I have probably a pretty standard um, (laughs) entry point into learning to play violin. Violin was my first instrument and I started when I was about six. And I think I just started because a friend of mine at school was playing and I had some fleeting interest in it that probably would have been fleeting except for that my dad was like, ooh, violin. (laughs) Yeah, let's get you lessons. And he was really kept me going on those early years uh, because I didn't, I don't come from a musical family, but my dad really kept me going on those early years and I was naturally talented at it. So I just kept working at it and I liked doing it. Um, But you know, those first years of playing an instrument where it's not all of that rewarding in how it sounds yeah Um, you know I have I have my parents to credit a lot for those those years before I before I really joined a community around music and that really shifted learning an instrument for me was having a community of friends around it then it became really fun and it became a way of connecting with people and then I I can relate to that as well I don't come from a very musical family either And I mean, my dad played trumpet through high school a little bit, but he was like kind of that football player that also was in band. Um, (laughs) So it was kind of like casual for him. And my mom never played an instrument. Like no one in my family really does. I'm the only professional person in music at all in my family. Um, So I can relate to that. And my, but my parents were really um, heavily involved and like very supportive of everything. And I, I really liked that communal aspect that you were talking about, right? Like when, when band or orchestra or whatever ensemble you're in in school starts to become rewarding is when you have that community of friends where concerts also start to become musically rewarding, like you said. Um, And there's always that end goal. And that was one of the things that I think drew me to music was just the, you know, preparing for a concert, working together being a part of an ensemble was, was super rewarding for me as a student. And so I can relate to you in, in that way as well. Yeah, definitely. It just completely shifted it. And once I had that community and also, yeah, being in an, in a group, in a group musical setting, like uh, the first chamber orchestra I I was in, it was just Mm -hmm. the music itself became so much more fulfilling because you had so much, so much more involvement in it, so many more voices in it. And um, it became really fun. And then it, and then it became my own, like I 
could see myself as a part of something that was bigger than just me practicing, you know, practicing my violin by myself. Yeah. And I, and I'm always jealous of string players because of that chamber music aspect. Like obviously I'm a trumpet player and obviously we have brass chamber ensembles, right? But usually the way that um, schools go and programs go, we never really get to that chamber stuff. Like I didn't play in a chamber group until I went to uh, a summer music festival while I was in high school. Mm -hmm. So it took like up until that point. So I'm always jealous of string players and the fact that a lot of times chamber music is introduced at a much younger age. And then you get a much more appreciation for the communication piece of music because, you know, in like a school band or whatever, it's just a a conductor in front of the entire ensemble the entire time. You're just looking at them. You know, there's not this like collaborative piece. You don't really understand that until you're much older. Like I I didn't really understand until I was more like in high school, how much value there is in that collaboration piece in an ensemble. Because I think it was because I just didn't have those chamber music experiences that I'm very jealous of my string friends for having all the time. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was key. I the communication just that the that topic of communication. I remember I wrote one of my or maybe a couple of my college essays on communication because <laughs> that really became the the interest for me. And it's like it's kind of the thread that's led me through all of my different career changes. Actually, is this this topic of communication and self-expression and, and like relating to people and connecting with people. And that was one of the things that I loved so much about being a musician and, and probably also what I loved about being a violist too. I mean, when I, when I made that transition, I really loved being the middle voice, you know, and not, not being necessarily the soloist, but being kind of in between the bass line and the solo line or the melody line and making the connection and and how the viola like shifts the tone or the feeling or the mood of of the harmonies i loved that about about being a violist yeah that's so great and i feel like everybody always kind of shits on the viola a little bit (laughs) but there's so much there's so much value right to that and to have that attitude from a young age of the, hey, you know, like I'm about, I'm not really about being the slowest. I'm about working together. And that collaborative piece, I think is so important. And I think that those kids that are very much into that have so much more emotional maturity from a young age, right? Um, those things that we look for in education, I think is so valuable. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. <laughs> I, I found that in, in working with kids, even in, in string players as well, it's like that whole ego comes into play when it comes to instruments, right? So um, I often find that a lot of the viola students that I work with, like the younger kids, they don't have that ego attached to them. They have a very different personality and a very different uh, way of approaching things from a young age. It's, it's very interesting to see um, the differences in personality um, that come with instrumentation yeah that is really cool yeah Yeah, being a violist was yeah it it was like a little bit of there were there were a few things going on for me when I switched one of them was that I I kind of well I didn't like being in the spotlight at all like I didn't like uh, feeling like I needed to compete for concert master or whatever and and um, these big competitions which of course, when you're when you get into the world of viola, you still have to do those things, right? So, yeah. like, it was kind of a a futile move to try and situate myself in a 
cozy inner role where I never have to put myself on the line and compete and get into the spotlight because of course like I ended up having to do those things in the world of viola anyway. on you anyway yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. um but yes in terms of the the role that that we get to play as a violist it's a really I find it a really rewarding place to be yeah for sure and I was going to ask you next a little bit about your uh, collegiate experiences because you attended Bard, Juilliard, and Rice. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about the, how those experiences were like for you as a viola student, what you studied, how your relationships were like with your peers or faculty or things like that? Can you comment on any of those experiences? Yeah, man, those were three very, very different schools to be at, different conservatory yeah. educations to experience. And when I went to Bard, Bard was in its, the Bard Conservatory was in its second year of existence. So it was very open. You know, there was a lot of possibility going on there because they had just invented this idea where they were going to have a world-class conservatory at a world-class liberal arts college where you had to do two degrees. It's mandatory that you had to do two degrees there. And uh, one in music, one in liberal arts. And uh, it's a five-year plan. I loved the feeling there because I needed I had I needed a lot of space to find myself at that time and I wasn't ready to put myself into a, the vibe of somewhere like Juilliard. Mm -hmm. I, I just wanted more of that flexibility. I, I also had become really interested in learning about other things other than music. So I loved that I got to just take whatever classes I wanted there at Bard and it was a very self-guided environment. Um, the program of study was, you could basically create, you created it based on what you wanted to study and when, and you had five years to do it. <laughs> so it was exploratory and honored the individuality of, of people and honored that our intellectual pursuits outside of music and our study of the world and of culture and of everything that we're interested in informs our music making like that me the, the classical music doesn't exist in like a vacuum it exists in the context of who we are as musicians and who what the world looks like yeah. and what the world looked like when that music was made and and how the world evolves you know so the meaning of the music evolves as the world evolves so it was all that kind of philosophical expansive holistic view that really was what I needed at the time and I just valued so much that experience and then <laughs> I went to Juilliard it was really what I needed at that time which was some structure some serious like I, I needed I needed that structure I needed the rigor the rigor of the classical music world because it's easy at Bard they sometimes refer to the Bard bubble <laughs> it's easy to feel like you're in a small pond, so to speak. And then going to Juilliard, living in Manhattan, all of that was really the the world that I needed at that time. Um, and it was very rigorous. And it was, I won't lie, it was difficult at the time because it just shifted my perspective so much. And I got really, really hard on myself. And I won't say that that was at all because of Juilliard, but it was because of how I, it was my mindset at Juilliard was not healthy. And um, I just became really, really very self-critical, very hard on myself, very in the world of never enough, never good enough, never enough time, never enough this, never enough anything, never enough practice, you know, <laughs> but yeah. I couldn't ever win. And so um, it was 
it was a difficult time and I had amazing teachers there. I studied with Heidi Castleman and Sinyan Huang and they were amazing and I loved them so much and I have so much gratitude for them. You know, looking back on it, their guidance for me during that time wasn't anything anything to do with my feelings of never enough. In fact, they were speaking all to the opposite, you know, yeah. and they were speaking to self-expression and they were speaking to my individuality and, and confidence and all of these things that I was just missing. And for whatever reason, my, I, I just kept on reinforcing these negative thought processes in my head that really put me down in, in a very deep hole at that time. Yeah. And then um, after that, going on to Rice, I did art- artist diploma at Rice uh, with James Dunham, who's also amazing. And that was a nice balance. Artist diploma at that time, again, it was like barred. It was new. It was a new program they were offering and it was very free form. So I got to create a project. And so I created a chamber music festival um, that I still run in Connecticut. And and I had the support of the school and the support of faculty to hash out these ideas of how I wanted to put music into the world. That's my self-expression and my creation. And that was a really, really fun program to be in because we had all the resources of the school and not a lot of requirements. We had to be in their in their orchestra, which was awesome. Their orchestra is ridiculously good, great. Yeah. And and just kind of do a project that was inspired inspiring to me my own creation so yeah three very different (laughs) conservatory experiences there (laughs) yeah and I think that having those different experiences is honestly the most valuable situation you can be in I think going to different forms of music schools is very valuable Um, my undergrad institution um, I went to the Baltimore Conservatory of Music but it's uh, it's within the larger university Um, so that was nice for me because as a music education major, I was able to take, you know, education courses with other people and other disciplines. So I got that more of a bigger picture experience, like you were saying that you had it barred, but that was nice to like, kind of be able to explore other areas, you know, while I was in my undergrad. And then now I'm at the Eastman School of Music, which is very much music, music, music all the time, which I needed, right? Like, I I think that's great. I'm, I'm very much that person. I'm very much a workaholic. So (laughs) I'm thriving, you know, so like, that's my thing. I can relate to you in that like differing music school experiences. I think they teach you a lot rather than just staying in a bubble the entire time. Right. So I think that that's really a valuable that you had those experiences. And then uh, you were talking about how that sort of kicking yourself sort of piece and like making yourself feel like you were never good enough and that you, you said it wasn't, you know, at fault to your teachers. They're actually saying the opposite. I, I feel like that's kind of the situation with a lot of students when they are in music school is that um, sort of imposter syndrome piece. I feel like a lot of people experience that. I think it's even more so in female students, especially when, you know, you're either studying to be an orchestral musician or you're in my case, you're studying to be a high school band director, which I'm extremely outnumbered um, by men in my field. I feel like that imposter syndrome piece is even higher for young women. So I'd like to talk about that like a little bit more with you because you had mentioned that sort of thing. Did you ever feel like you were feeling any uh, sort of ostracization or like you were treated in any sort of like toxic way by um, either any of those schools or your peers or anything? because of your gender? I think that a lot of it's, for me, was, is just internalized, you know, it it wasn't necessary, it wasn't overt, you know, but I am the kind of person who doesn't want to 
rock the boat, doesn't want to assert myself. And I definitely see that as something that's learned for me and my culture as part of part of my gender for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now that I've, you know, I see it so much and it's something that I've worked through is this feeling of, I used to just want to kind of disappear in the background and not be, look at me at all, you know, like not, not, oh, this is so very interesting, actually. (laughs) No, I do. I do um, agree with you on that while you're, while you're pondering your thought. That is Uh, the thing with women. It is. Yeah. And also, you know, I've always been very, I never wanted to, this is so interesting. I didn't really think about this. I never wanted to play up my femininity as a part of my um, like stage presence or appearance kind of thing, because I felt that that, I think I thought that that was, I thought that that was vain. I thought that that was like, like that I didn't want to get anywhere because I could wear a sexy dress on stage. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no. And, and what you are expressing right now is something that a lot of, you know, guests in the past have expressed and a lot of people have expressed in the research that I've done is that we feel like as women, we have to like find this balance of being feminine enough and then not too feminine at the same time because we are judged a lot more for our appearances and how we carry ourselves and you were talking about like feeling like um you didn't want to rock the boat and I think that's another thing that I think that also comes from society and how we're raised and things as women versus men but we are taught not really to take up space yeah. Right? We're not we're not really taught to um, express ourselves when we're feeling certain emotions that may cause controversy or may cause some sort of aggression or something like that because we are you know supposed to be seen as quiet and that sort of thing and be in our shell and whether we realize that or not that is a thing that does happen um, and especially when we translate this to like music for example that does happen with the way that women um, carry themselves on stage the concert dress that they choose those sorts of things we feel like we're often put in this little bubble about what we can and cannot do yeah yeah and especially in the the area of dressing like I, I i always wanted to be understated and i was kind of like in that world of feminism that i should i should be a man that kind of like <laughs> not that i should be a man but that i should kind of dress more masculine and and just kind of work hard and not stand out for not stand out for being a woman you know like yeah. not, not flaunt myself or anything like that it's a very strange place to be and i i don't I don't, uh, I don't feel that way anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. but I used to be very kind of, I didn't, I really did not want people to look at me. And so I didn't want to attract attention with my looks at all. And, and, you know, like, I mean, even to the, I just, I never wore, I never wore makeup. I didn't, you know, I didn't, (laughs) this is funny. I'm just kind of realizing all of this now about that issue Um, and I I remember a couple times oh my gosh I just remember a couple times of being called out on what to wear on stage you know there was one person who wanted us all to wear dress short dresses on stage and I was like that is so messed up and then (laughs) I don't know it was just it was like it was just such a I couldn't stand it when people would comment on what to wear or what not to wear on stage and at the same time, I was playing into it by by feeling very confined. I 
probably wouldn't have admitted it back then, but I did feel very confined as to what I could wear on stage because I felt like if I wore something very beautiful or very flashy, that that would be seen poorly. Like, mm. I, yeah. And it's so, it's so interesting to me, the difference between us as like, I'm a classically trained musician as well, orchestra, yada, 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 yada. Obviously that's not my career path now. I'm a music teacher, but I think it's interesting the way that we were brought up in music ensembles where, you know, everybody needs to look the same. And there's that pressure with, you know, concert black and things because women don't really have a set uniform in a lot of orchestra ways, but we still get that like judgment if we wear something that's seen as, you know, like, like what you said, attention drawing and that sort of thing. Um, but I think that's so interesting because then you look at like opera and like, and in vocal music, that's not like choral and yeah. it's like the exact opposite. Yeah. <laughs> like everything needs to be flashy and these big, beautiful dresses <laughs> and all sorts of things. And I always just find that so interesting that that, that, that attitude shift, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, and it's a, it's, it becomes just this cultural norm where it's, you don't even realize how much you play into it. You know, I just, Mm -hmm. as a, I'm a violist, I'm sitting in the middle, I'm going to fade into the background. I'm not going to wear something flashy. I just need to blend in, you know, I just need to blend in, blend, blend, blend. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that, that also comes from a lot of influence of like teachers that people have growing up in orchestra and band and that sort of thing. And like the set uniform that is, you know, promoted all the way through. And I think that's what it is. It just like influences the social norm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I also thought it was interesting. You were talking about how you were bringing up different anecdotes just now. And you're like, Hey, I like actually like never thought of this. And I always think it's funny because when I do these interviews, things just start to pop up in people's brains. Like, oh yeah, I remember that one time when like someone said this to me and it's fascinating to me, but it's also like a little sad because um, some of these situations are just so normal for us that it kind of just like, we forget about them. Like someone's making a comment about how you dress or like how they want you to dress. Um, You know, thinking about that, you're like, wow, actually that was like pretty terrible, but you didn't remember it right away because it's normalcy, right? Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah, I always find that so fascinating. Um, some of the stories people just bring out and they're like, yeah, you know what? I completely forgot that that happened to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure I could think of more of them that would that, you know, I remember the I remember that being ticked off about that issue multiple times. I just can't remember the instances at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'd like to talk a little bit about your career moving forward. So you've played for a bunch of orchestras. I'm looking at your bio here. You have like the Houston Symphony and Bard Music Festival, Shakespeare Concerts, Geneva Music Festival, Thailand International Composition Festival, and you've recorded works for a bunch of different record companies and that sort of thing. So as a freelancing musician and as a violist, what has that experience been like for you doing all those sorts of projects and working with those different ensembles? Well, it was, it was not the career that I had imagined that it would be mostly due to confidence and due to my struggle with visibility and which is a struggle in in confidence and seeing myself as the owner of my voice and the owner of my work and all of these these things that now is my career (laughs) with my coaching and honestly like it was challenging in every 
step of the uh, freelancing career to be be the leader of my career and be and and own the value of who I am in any context. You know what I mean? Like I just was always discrediting myself every step of the way, basically, and never really feeling all that fulfilled by it. I didn't feel satisfied by it. I didn't feel fulfilled by it. And I didn't see any of those things as a win. It took me a really long time to be able to write those things in a bio and feel like, wow, I've actually done something. <laughs> yeah. You know, like every every one of those things seemed like, yeah, but I mean, I'm I'm doing this because I'm in this group that has this connection and stuff like that. I I discredited my freelance career along the way, like for most of those steps. So during the time that I was experiencing it, I, it didn't feel like like victories. It didn't feel like wins. It didn't feel fulfilling. And not not to say that it didn't feel good. Like I, I knew I was doing things, but it also, I, I, sh- I could have experienced it differently than I did at the time. And that was due to a lack of, a lack of confidence and, and a lack of knowing my own voice and my own purpose in what I was doing and what I wanted to create my career into. Yeah. And I think that also has to do with, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it also has to do with the fact that as music students, and as we go through, um, even just through our collegiate experiences and things like that, we're always pushing to be better and better and better. And there's always that pressure that what you're doing right now is not good enough. You need to get to the next step. That's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So when you get that job or you get that, there's the pot at the end of the rainbow, we still have that conscious feeling of, but it's not good enough. I need to get the next step and the next step. And then where does it end? And I think that pressure has to do with um, people not feeling super satisfied. Like some people, you know, they never get that top tier orchestra glory job that like 0.0001% of musicians get. Right. Um, you know, maybe they play for a regional orchestra, or maybe they're in one of these um, second tier orchestras, or maybe they're not in an orchestra career at all, but there's still that attitude of, unless you're here, you're not good enough. Exactly. And that can be very self-deprecating. Absolutely. It's totally, it's, it's, that's, that is the struggle. And it's because, you know, we, we, we practice that every single day in the practice room. We're always trying to get better than where we already are, which is something we need to, we need to be so self-critical and we need to see what's, what could be better and we need to go after it. But we get so wrapped up in that world of, but, but it's not good enough, but there's something else, but there's something better that I could have. And it just becomes a trap, honestly. So that, yeah, like you said, it never feels like a win when you, when you, achieve these things because you're always looking at but what's next but mm-hmm. what could I have done or what should I have done or all those things that that go on and 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 when you're in school or when you're young you think you you see something for yourself in your career that's a lot of times uh much more it's a certain way and you think like you know I wanted to be in a famous string quartet that kind of thing and so nothing was ever good enough you know nothing was ever that and (laughs) I don't even know why I you know I hadn't I just latched onto that like now I no longer feel that way that's no longer my dream 
and I'm completely clear about that. But for some reason, I was in the world of, yeah, it's not, that's, this isn't what I imagined it would be. This isn't the win that I wanted. You yeah. Know? And that is what drives me so much is that we all have a purpose to fulfill. And it doesn't yes. look like the, the glamorous image of success that people create and that we keep on reinforcing like an, an image of success that isn't what actually would feel like success for a lot of people. You know, it's just yeah. what everybody else perceives as success. And what is success is all of us finding our purpose and finding that thing that really lights us up to do, you know, and, and going after that and creating that our, our world and our career around that, because then we really have a career that's fulfilling. And because we're, we're doing our purpose, we're, we're acting on our purpose every day in our work and it looks different for everybody. Mm -hmm. And speaking of finding our purpose, I'm going to shift a little bit. So you decided to, um, you know, you felt like you were feeling limited and you had, you were saying like that lack of self-confidence and that sort of thing that you were, you were struggling with. Um, as a freelance musician, you decided to pursue, and you put in your in your bio, which I love, service job. Love that word, service. Yeah. Um, you decided to pursue being an educator, and so you were teaching. You have certification in English and teaching English as a second language. So, can you talk a little bit about your experiences as a teacher in that phase of your life, and what made you decide to um, pursue that route? Yeah, this is exactly what I was just speaking about is that I, I, in my freelancing career, I didn't feel a sense of purpose. Like I didn't really know what I was doing or why, what I really wanted to do. I had, there wasn't a sense of fulfillment of my purpose. So, and I was sick of feeling like I was constantly (laughs) auditioning for something and, and constantly never good enough. So I went and decided that I was going to become an English teacher. And I don't, I guess English teacher because, again, communication, coming back to that communication, I loved that English as a, as a subject matter, you can dive into life, you can dive into worldview, you, you dive into how people work and connect and communicate and all of that stuff. So English is like something that I know and love. And I chose that over me. People always ask me why I chose that over teaching high school music. And and honestly, it's because I didn't want to deal with the discipline of, of um, music in high school. I wanted to deal mm-hmm. with yeah. just the fun of communication. In the high school setting, I didn't feel like I could be a music teacher and deal with the fun of communication when I knew that I would have to be dealing with a lot of discipline. I didn't want to oh, yeah. structure. Yeah. And of course, I had to learn to deal with a lot of discipline and structure as an English teacher, too, because classroom management, man, is like... Oh, that was a that was a learning curve for me. Oh it, yeah, but I just adored being an English teacher, and I I taught my first year. I taught tenth grade, then I moved to ninth grade, and it it reinvigorated my love of life and my purpose and all of these things, and connecting with the students and exploring life, and and really honestly getting in touch with the what what's you know, outside of the, the, here we go again with another bubble, but the bubble of classical music, mm-hmm. there's a whole world going on and, and students that taught me so much about what uh, they were dealing with in their lives in the world. And it just really reconnected me to 
my why, you know, and my own value and my own path that diverged completely from what I thought I was pursuing and, and gained so much more vitality in doing so. And it was just such a rewarding experience being a teacher. Yeah. Um, And making a difference for people, you know, making such a huge difference for people and, and allowing myself to see that. Cause I think that's something that we miss a lot of times when we're musicians is what a difference that we make for people. We, we play our concert on the stage and then sometimes we go out and listen to the audience tell us, oh, you did such a great job. And I never received that compliment. You know, I, I never really got that I made a difference for people as a musician. And I know that I did, but I didn't feel it. And um, being a teacher really allowed me to feel how, how much I matter in, in, in my contribution you know, to the world. Yeah, I completely agree with you in that. And I think that's, that's kind of one of the reasons why, like, I chose to be a, a teacher as well. It's the, the service job of helping people. Um, I definitely feel like that as part of my personality. I've always wanted to help people. I've always wanted to explore that world of education and the many, many, many um, doors that come with it that are open for kids to explore those things. And while music education has a lot of work to do in that. I think that it is moving in a positive direction of more student exploration and voice. But yeah. that was like one of the reasons why I chose to be a teacher as well is that that service job, that service piece and getting that direct feeling of, yes, you know what? I am helping others. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and so you were a teacher for a while and then you decided you became a mom. So that's awesome. And you decided to pursue more of the entrepreneurial route yeah. um, and in your, in your career now. So first of all, I wanted to ask you a question about, you know, being a mom and balancing that work life <laughs> and everything like that. So what, what were your struggles with that? And what have you found has helped you in balancing that work life piece that I feel like a lot of moms struggle with? Yeah, it's the work mom life balance is, is real. (laughs) It's, um, yeah, honestly, she was a huge, like knowing that I was going to be a mom was a huge shift for me in terms of looking at my life and looking at the kind of balance that I wanted in my work and life. And it got me dreaming. It got me dreaming about the ideal and, and dreaming about possibilities beyond what might have seemed logical or feasible and things like that uh, because it's a new life you know <laughs> I mean, like thinking about life from the point of view of a baby I was like well there are no limits here so what mm-hmm. would I imagine what would I imagine I would want for a child and and I was pouring my life in my all of my energy and my life into being a teacher and I loved it and those kids were like everything to me and I knew that that wasn't going to it, I needed to shift something there because I, I wanted to create a life that the, the, have the value that I felt as a teacher and also have the time and space and um, financial freedom that would create the, I, the, 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 the life that I dream of, you know, the freedom that I dream of um, and yeah. the freedom that I'd want to, as a mom, to have to spend that time with my baby 
Yeah. Um, just got me dreaming. And so it keeps me dreaming. And that's one of the ways that I do deal with the work-life balance is because I've got to, I've got to be real. How much time am I spending on my work? How much time am I spending with her? And fortunately I have a lot of support. Her, mm-hmm. her, her dad is very supportive and we share our time and my family's super helpful. So, but I do have to keep looking at that because especially building a business as I'm building this coaching business and being working from home and it's, you know, being an entrepreneur, you're always building your business. And so you do have the tendency to want to keep working with a never ending to-do list and coming from the world of classical music and practicing it, it feels just as never ending as practicing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, like there's always more to do. So I just have to keep looking all the time at, well, what do I want my day, like the experience of my day to be like, Mm -hmm. and there is an end to the work in the, in what I, what I desire the experience of my day to be like. And there is a division between the time that I'm focusing on work and the time that I'm focusing on being a mom. And I'm just so always creating that. And I really try to do one thing at a time. It's, difficult because we're, we're, it's so easy to multitask with our devices and everything, but I try to do one thing at a time and be present for each thing so that I'm effective at whatever it is I'm doing. If I'm being present with my work, I'm effective at my work. If I'm being present with being a mom, then she knows that she has my full attention for that time. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, and let's, let's talk a little bit about your career now. And you're talking about building your business and everything. So can you talk a little bit about what exactly your role is in your business and what are you trying to do with it? Yeah. So I created this business of coaching. I got really into personal development for during, still during while I was teaching and just seeing how I've lived my life inside of this idea of who I am, you know, and it goes back to all of the confidence, the visibility stuff, you know, trying to blend into the background, trying basically not to be seen and then confronted with this, confronted with wanting to create this dream life for myself and my baby, the two did not go hand in hand. So I had to realize that I, I was limiting myself and my view of myself, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I wanted things that were much bigger than the path that I was on yeah. and not bigger in any sense of better, just bigger in the sense of who I saw myself as capable of being and what I saw myself as capable of doing or what I was willing to be seen doing. And, and, and that became um, my journey in personal development. And in coaching, I really started with the idea of confidence because through my, through leaving classical music and going into teaching and finding that sense of purpose and going through personal development and stuff like that, I gained so much confidence in my playing and, and my playing actually transformed through me deciding that that wasn't everything of who I was and getting a sense of myself. I stopped trying to play into what I thought I should sound like, or what I was, what I worried about the audience thinking of me and just started owning what I do and what I say and what, what I, how I play And so my playing got so much more confident and so much more fulfilling to do and so much more free uh, as an experience. And, And that's where I started with my coaching was building a business around helping classical musicians feel confident in their performance. And 
I just never realized how many, how many people deal with the same things I dealt with. And so connecting back, bringing my career back to classical music was just the, the experience of coming full circle and helping people access their purpose in classical music, their purpose in their music and their purpose in their career. And it activates, once you activate that confidence, it opens up doors that you didn't see. You know, it gives you a sense of fulfillment in doing things that you didn't see as successful before. Like what we were talking about, about the shiny image of success that everyone thinks is success versus what feels like success, like what feels fulfilling. And so when I brought all of this, my own world of transition back into classical music, I saw that this was really needed was the personal development aspect of classical music, where even though you could practice all day long, you will still not feel confident. You will still not feel good enough. And it doesn't matter all of the doing and all of the action around it. If we don't address how we feel and how we're kind of undermining our sense of ourselves and our sense of value and purpose. Mm -hmm. So that was, that's where my business has been in the past year. And then lately I've been transitioning this out of just speaking to classical musicians and more about creatives in general. And as we're dealing with COVID and shifting our businesses online, um, this issue of being visible, being seen, being valued, being fully self-expressed, mm-hmm. um, being able to promote ourselves online and own our value and and know, like, have a clarity about who we are and our purpose. And this is what, what I do and I'm, I'm visible with it, you know? Yeah. That is what I've been working on with creatives now, not just classical musicians, but any creatives who are building their business and putting themselves online and feeling that lack of confidence about it. And I think that's that's so important because first of all, you found something that that you had struggled with, right? And you found some strategies to help yourself and now you're doing that for others. So I think that first of all, that's amazing that you're doing that. Um, again, because that's that service piece, right? Helping others, but also... I think that that need for technology now is so great. And I feel like so many people are struggling with it, whether you're a teacher and you're trying to teach virtually, or if your business, like your website for your business has to go online and everything, because that's how you're going to make your money now. Um, If you're a private teacher and you're having to teach lessons online and develop your own website now in order to recruit more students, like there's so much that's now so reliant on that website piece or that online piece that you are helping people with. And I think that's so great. And I, and I know COVID is like sucks for everybody, but I think it's helped your business in a way that now people really need that help of making an online presence. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I've shifted it more towards the online presence. So mm-hmm. part of, yeah, it was my, my own pivot that I had to make too, because, you know, doing, working with classical musicians around performance specifically all of a sudden there was no performance to be had and all of a sudden people were doing things like starting a podcast or or wanting to do things like start a podcast or do live streams and things like this and there's even more or it's really the same kind of resistance around that online visibility and putting yourself out there online as it is to get on stage and perform like it's the same performance anxiety to be seen and and that so the same it's it's really the same kind of inner work the inner work that i 
have been doing with classical musicians around performance is the same kind of inner work as I do with creatives and creating their online presence and their visibility. Um, Cause a lot of things we know how to do, like we know how to, or we may not know all of the ins and outs of how to put up a website, but, but we, we don't do it because we're stopped by the feeling, <laughs> you know, the anxiety of uh, it doesn't, it doesn't represent me. I don't like, I don't feel, it doesn't feel good enough. I don't feel good enough to make it live. I don't have good enough recordings, all of those things. We get swamped with a bunch of reasons and all of that is internal work, yeah. you know, it's all that confidence piece that's, that's missing. And once, once we build up that confidence and the self value, um, it becomes a lot easier. It becomes a yeah. lot easier to build your business and be visible and promote yourself. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I wanted to mention, um, you had talked about um, the nonprofit organization that you had started back when you were in school. Can you talk a little bit about this foundation and what it does? Because it's still happening. Yes. Yeah. And we're pivoting that too, because you know, it didn't happen this spring because of COVID. But yeah, yeah the last several years, we've been doing a music festival in the spring or early summer. And it's a chamber music festival. Um, it takes place in Durham, Connecticut, which at my family's uh, farm and garden. So it's an old farmhouse that we kind of converted into an event space. So for two weeks in the spring, I host this music festival and we do string quartets, piano quintets, and any variation of instrumentation within that those five players. And we put on a program each weekend. So we do two weekends of programs and do a Friday, Saturday, Sunday concert of the weekly program. And it's been really great. I mean, this, this area doesn't have a lot of that kind of entertainment, I guess, <laughs> during the spring. And so we have a lot of super loyal fans here who love to come to the concerts every year. And they're small concerts, but actually there's a lot of value in them being small because it's it's like a living room thing. It's like chamber music as intended originally. So yeah. everybody loves the experience because they get to be up close and personal and watch us, you know, see see our see our facial expressions. Everyone always comments on how fun it is to see our work so up close. And we do, we usually do some educational outreach as well. Um, we go work with the school, the local schools. And yeah, and then we've been doing a fall concert as well, in addition to the spring concert. So, and a lot of, a lot of possibilities for the future. We're working on putting, we're working on building our online presence for that actually, and doing some um, live streamed concerts to, to keep it going despite COVID, um, because we have a really, like I said, a tight performance space. So I'm anticipating that even if COVID is not as much of an issue, we're still going to have some resistance to being <laughs> being in such close quarters. So we're trying to build our live stream presence, our online presence for that too. That's exciting. Yeah, that's so great. I think everything that you're doing in all these projects is just so awesome. And it's I feel like it's going to help so many people, um, not only with the Chamber Music Festival, but also your career now and you have like an amazing social media presence so i will make sure that i tag you and everything when i release the episode so people can go and check out all of your awesome stuff but i guess like my last question for you is you were mentioning you know this time of covid and everything and how people are having to pivot and you know really voice who they are online and be confident in that so where do you see the future 
of all of that going in classical music with the current times that we're living in. Yeah, I I think there's so much opportunity for individual creativity and that's such a beautiful thing because because everybody gets to reimagine their careers for themselves and there's no playbook for what success is now, you know, <laughs> like like it doesn't nobody knows what it looks like to be successful as a classical musician right now and that's amazing because it means you really we we really get to invent it for ourselves and we each get to look at who we are and what amazing skill sets we all have that make us unique and not just a good a good violist you know and creating our own businesses around who we are as individuals what makes us unique what lights us up what what our skill sets are like the walls have crumbled, you know, in terms of, in terms of what is this, the, the playbook for success as a classical musician. So I think there's just a, so much opportunity for creativity and for everybody to step up and do something that they want to do and create their own value as, as the, as the musician. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. Leah, I want to thank you so much for being on and for talking with us today. I think you had just such great insight into your experiences and all of the creative projects and the, and the way you approach life so creatively. I think a lot of people should be a little more like Leah. So that's great. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I've had a great time talking to you.